Please turn with me again to Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. We talked about this last week, about how Jesus commands us to be fishers of men. We looked at this and I said last week, I said there's so much juice left to be squeezed out of this fruit, we got to look at this again for a second week in a row. So that's what we're doing today. We're going to look at this again and the idea behind what did Jesus mean by fishers of men. And we, and we unpacked that a little bit. I did my best to spell it out. And in verses 18 and 19 is where we pick it up. This is Jesus calling his first disciples. And he says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen, in verse 19. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. So, like I said, last week we, we looked at this idea of fishers of men. What does it mean to be a fisher of men? Why did Jesus say, I'm going to make you fishers of men? Why not just, hey, put your nets down, we're going to go do something else. I'm going to make you fishers of men. So, the idea that we came up with last week was... This is the best I got. Fishers of men. What does that mean? The act of expanding the kingdom of God, right, by the sharing, preaching, teaching, and I would add singing of the good news of the gospel, Christ's atonement for sins through his death and resurrection, in which God is glorified and disciples of Jesus are produced. Glorify God, make disciples. That was the idea. Uh, I, I saw it on the wall in there, so I just kind of stole it. No, but I asked, I asked the head pastor over the week, I said, hey, did you catch that? Was there anything that you would add or take away? And he goes, no, that was pretty good. And I thought, great, validation, fantastic. <laughs> and so that to me was what it meant to be a fisher of men. So a quick review, what did we take away from last week? Well, number one, Fishermen go where the fish are. Duh, right? That makes, pretty, makes a good amount of sense. We're sent out into the world, but not to be of the world. So in order to lead someone to Christ, we'll have to venture out and go. This is Matthew 28, verse 19, the great commission, as we call it, uh, played out. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus commands the disciples to Go. And even after the Gospels, what is Paul and Barnabas? What are they doing? They're going. They're they're not just hanging around Jerusalem. They go. And number two, fishing is a command, not a choice. And I put this one in here because I know that I've failed at this before. I know I have. And and I know I'm probably not alone. I hope not because then I would feel really bad. (laughs) Thank you, sir. Because I've treated it like a choice before, and I've chosen the wrong thing. And so he says, if, he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. If you put your faith in Christ, then I'm not sorry to say you are a fisher of men at this point. We look at the way Jesus calls these two disciples, Simon and Andrew, and he doesn't give them a choice. It's the idea of, I like to think of it as, I'm going to make my son. I will make you clean your room. 
Or with, with my son Henry, I will make you stop pooping on the floor. We had an issue this past week. Oh, I heard, aww. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure if I should include that kind of a little bit in the gutter. I apologize. But you, get, but you get the idea. I will make you fishers of men. So it's a command. It's not a choice. And then we looked at John 21. And we see how the, the, the disciples obeyed the voice of Jesus. Because we are the fisher of men, but Christ is the catcher of men. And in John 21, verse 6, we see how the disciples, they were, this is after Jesus has already been uh, resurrected and he's now appearing to the disciples and they don't recognize him yet. And, and they're uh, out fishing on the boat and Jesus says, hey, throw the net over on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And so they do. And so when they obey Jesus' voice, they can't haul it in or, or uh, another word, they can't draw it back in. And we're going to, that's foreshadowing for a little later on. But they can't draw it back in. And we see that it wasn't their skill. It wasn't their experience of fishermen. It wasn't the size of their boat. It wasn't the quality of net. It was their obedience to the command of Jesus that drew in the, the fish. So we're simply a fisher of men while he is the catcher of men. So this morning, I'd like to dive a little bit deeper, pun intended, as to what it looks like to be a fisher of men. Because, I mean, in the least, here's the thing is, I know Christians, and I know I have seasons where, where I love Jesus and I'm a follower of Christ, but I'm not venturing off the land. I'm not sharing the gospel with others. I'm keeping Jesus to myself. I'm not going out into the waves and, and, and sharing the gospel with people. And so what does this actually look like? So let's start there. If you're not actually leaving land yet, well, let's see what it actually looks like to act like a fisher of men and conduct yourself in a way that is becoming of a fisher of men. What does this person look like? What does this person sound like? How does this person behave and function in this fallen world in which we live? Because we should act like fishers of men. That's a good starting point. Amen? We need to act like we've been called by Jesus. We need to behave and act in a way that demonstrates to others we've been called to a purpose that is bigger than ourselves. The call on our lives when we become accepted to God through Christ Jesus should be recognizable. So, Back at verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw the two brothers, Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. And what does Jesus do? He recognizes. He recognizes them. They're fishermen. For they were fishermen. He recognizes. They are easily recognizable as fishermen. Fishermen are easy to recognize. Last week, I mentioned this show called Wicked Tuna. And I got... Actually, later on in the day, I got a text from a lady at the uh, earlier location service saying, guess what we're watching? <laughs> I was like, that's not really the point of what I brought it up. But, uh, but yeah, they're watching the show, Wicked Tuna. And it is exciting. It's, ex- it's an exciting show. It really is. But, but the language 
is, it, it can be rough. So, ye be warned. Yeah. Well, fishermen have a certain way of talking. Fishermen have a certain way of behaving and conducting themselves. They talk fish. Okay, if, if you think I'm picking on fishermen, because maybe you fish or your dad fishes or something like that, I'll move on. Let's, let's talk about my in-laws. <laughs> in-laws are outlaws. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, my wife, she's got the best in-laws. Um, He said, digging that hole a little deeper. Oh, boy. Yikes, it's got warm in here all of a sudden. No, but my in-law, and I'm I'm aware that this is now being broadcast on the Internet, so they could actually look this up. But my in-laws, they are carpenters. They're builders. They built half of of the town of Flushing, 12 miles that way. They build. that's That's what they know. When Home Depot opens, boom, they're right there. As soon as the doors unlock, they're in Home Depot. Home Depot knows them by name. I'm not talking about the one on Hill Road or the one on Corona Road. I'm talking about, like, I'm pretty sure the corporation of Home Depot knows my in-laws. They're, oh, those are the Johnson brothers. They're in Home Depot all the time. They're talking about carpentry all the time. When we go and eat with my in-laws, with Amber's family, I'm sitting at the table and I'm eating my casserole or whatever it is and I'm pretty sure the only thing that I understand is they're sitting there eating saying houses, houses, wood, porch, nails, hammer, hammer, good, hammer, houses, houses, houses. And And I'm just like, I can't contribute much to this conversation. I'll do my best. I live in a house. That's what I've got to contribute. So if I didn't know a carpenter, where do you think I would go? If I, didn't, if I wasn't married to Amber, where would I go if I didn't know a carpenter but I needed a carpenter's advice? I'd probably just hang out at Home Depot and ask somebody. If somebody needed guidance and counsel for eternal security found through Jesus, where would they go? Hopefully the church. But let me ask you, I can count on my brother and my brothers in law to be at Home Depot because they're carpenters. As fishers of men, as followers of Jesus, could a person count on finding you in church assembling with the body of Christ every Sunday, every time the doors are open? Is Jesus obvious in your life? As a follower of Christ, are you easily recognizable? And have you surrendered your whole life to him? Everything from the decisions that you make to how you speak, or does it never come up? I'm not talking about Sunday. I'm talking about Monday through Saturday. Are we fully committed to Christ to the point that Jesus is easy to recognize within us? Fishermen are easy to recognize Because let me tell you, it's going to be tough. If we're not fully committed to Jesus, it's going to be really tough to reach the lost for Jesus. And fishermen who are not fully committed never last long on the waves. 
2 Corinthians 8, verse 21 says, For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. 1 Peter 2.12, we read this last week. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Gentiles meaning anybody who's not the people of God. Who's not the people of God? Keep your conduct honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. We got this one. Matthew 5, verse 16, in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, let me just pose a question to you that you guys can take home. You guys can take it home and let it rattle around. Okay? Don't answer it because I don't want to know. I mean, I do, but I don't. Let me just ask you. From your conduct, your behavior, to the speech and the language that you use, where you spend your time and how you spend your time, how you spend your money, are you easily recognizable as a Christian? Because Christians, and here are a few characteristics, read their Bibles. Christians, it's, well, that seems simple enough. Wow, blowing my mind. <laughs> yeah, Christians read their Bibles. Christians learn about the power that they have through the Holy Spirit. Christians gain confidence through the faithful act of prayer. Scripture, prayer, the Holy Spirit. See, these are weapons of spiritual warfare that we're going to need if we're going to venture out into the rocky waves of the water of the world to share Jesus. So guys, fishermen, they got to be familiar with their tools. Weapons of spiritual warfare. Leaving the comforts of land can be unnerving. And that's because we're, we're light going into darkness. And obviously, light and darkness, there's a tension there. There's a tension there. And if you're not familiar with your tools, when the seas get rough, you won't be prepared when the waves start tossing us around. We have to know God's word and we have to be familiar with our Bible. Because we have an enemy in the devil. And look, he ain't waiting. When we try to reach the lost for Jesus, he will do everything he can to scare us off, to discourage us, to distract us, to unmotivate us by turning us around, by showing us just how much he can rock the boat. So don't take confidence in yourself. That's the wrong kind of tool. It's a good tool to have self-confidence, sure. You're made in the image of God. I should hope you have a small percentage of confidence. <laughs> but that's the wrong tool. Guys, I'm really good at the words. I can speak really well. And it's not the right tool. Don't take confidence in your skills. I can read people really well. I kind of have an, uh, a radar for these types of things. These are the wrong tools for the job. Because you can't do it without the right tools. And the right tools are the tools that God gave us. His word, we got to know it. Prayer, we got to be faithful in it so that we can pray that the Spirit will give us the words that we should say. 
Luke chapter 12, verse 12. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So if you're not already, pick up your Bible and read it daily. Now, I got a practical application for you all. And I don't know how many of you all, uh, if this would work or not for you guys. But for me, it does. Some people, when they read and study their, the scriptures, they have a certain way they want to do it. And it works for them. This works for me. So for those of you who struggle with reading your Bible every day, what I do, which, what I do is I read three chapters a day. I start Genesis 1, I start at Psalm 1, and I start at Matthew 1. Three chapters a day when, I, when I'm starting right from the beginning of, of, of reading. And then the next day I go to Genesis 2, Psalm 2, Matthew chapter 2. And that way I get a little bit of Old Testament history and a little bit of knowledge. And I get some poems of praise and worship. And then I get some of the gospel. I get the name of Jesus that I get to read. And then I get into the epistles. That's, so I get a little bit of everything. Because they say that if you read the, uh, three chapters every day, then you'll finish the Bible in a year. I don't know if that's true. Is that right? That's right? Is it mathematically correct? Okay, well, great. I've, I, I missed a day or two, so I, or else I could tell you. I'm preaching to myself. I like how I'm saying. I, I am. But if you don't have a plan, that's a good plan. That's a plan that works for me. You just try it out. You get a little bit of everything, a little bit of each. I give that to you. And I give that to you because I want to be easily recognizable as a fisher of men, as a lover of Jesus. And the best way that I can be so is to be familiar with the tools that God gave me. Get familiar with my Bible. That's an easy way to be recognizable. And do you guys know why? <laughs> do you know why we got to go fishing in the first place? <sighs> my dad does not like to fish. Not a big fisherman. It's, it's boring. But he likes to eat fish. Doesn't he, Mom? The salmon and the fried and all that. I don't know what he, I don't know. Salmon, 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 salmon. With the tartar sauce. Okay. But the problem is that the fish don't just jump up in our boat. We got to go fishing because fish don't want to be caught. You see, fish don't choose to be caught. So what happens? Something is dropped into the water and they latch on. And once the fisherman has the fish hooked, they struggle against the one in the boat, resisting, using every natural instinct that they have. Fish don't want to be caught. It reminds me of C.S. Lewis's book, Surprised by Joy. Are you all familiar with C.S. Lewis? Okay, okay. He compares his own conversion to a prodigal who is brought in kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance of escape. I mean, that's amazing. Fish don't choose to be caught. Let me give you this verse again. John 21, verse 6. 
And I'm going to do the New King James Version, actually, because this will help me prove my point here. And this is Jesus again. And he says to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast. And now they're not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. The NKJV version. There's there's something special about that word draw. It's the same word... It's the same word used when they were coming to arrest Jesus. And Peter cuts off Malchus, his, his ear. And he draws his sword. It says when he drew his sword. See, the sword is an inanimate object, just like the net. It's drawn in. And you know where else it's used? Same book, John 6, verse 44 No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now the Greek word, you see the Greek word here, which if you've been coming to New Haven for a little while, then I'm sure that you are familiar with this Greek word. Helko, or pronounced elkuo. Actually, my dad and I got into a disagreement over how it was pronounced. But it's a simple Google search. But I mean, who am I? He's got his doctorate. <laughs> he says, amen. Who am I to disagree with Dr. Reverend Bishop Rednauer? Whatever we're calling him nowadays, I don't know. Elkuo, it means to draw. And this, y'all get, is why prayer is so important. Prayer is so important because we're praying to the one who draws. I can't draw them. You can't draw them. They can't even draw themselves. We're praying to the one who has the power to draw. So we do what we're called to do. And then God does what only God can do. The horse and chariot are made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Proverbs 21, 31. This is why prayer is so important. And this is why we can't wait. I can't wait for... For my dad, our, our pastor, to get back before New Haven starts making advancements for the kingdom of God. I cannot wait because the kingdom of God itself does not wait. The devil will not wait. I cannot wait. And so I'm done with the idea. I'm done with this idea of filling in. Filling in has this connotation of we're just waiting to get from where we are to over there. I want to start fishing. I want our church to be fishers of men. No longer filling in. I'm preaching this morning. I ain't filling in this morning. (laughs) And that's why we pray to the one who draws. We pray that God would show us favor in our efforts to reach the lost because it is completely and utterly of him. So let's not wait. I got a picture. I got a picture here. There it is. Look at these guys. You know what that looks like? That looks exciting to me. It looks like they're going to have a story to tell. It looks like people are going to want to hear it. 
And I know that some of us are going through personal storms. I know that. I know we're going through storms that not everything is hunky-dory at home or within our marriage or within our finances. But sometimes, you know when the best time that they say to go fishing is? Right after a storm. Use this time as a testimony of God's faithfulness, of his goodness, to share the good news with those who need it because we have a lot of people who need it. We do. We got a lot of people who need to hear how good God has been, how faithful he has been, and how he has seen us through 2020, 21. So with Jesus as the captain, we're going to follow his lead. And let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. I'm down. Are you coming out? Are you muted? I can't hear you. Let's... I can see it, and I can feel it. God is working. Even when I don't see it, I know you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. God never stops working. And then when we can see him working, when we can feel him working, oh, what a sweet and precious thing that is. And I know that God is working. We're going to have baby dedication next week. We're going to have a baptism at the other location next week. Dad's going to have to get his oxygen tank going, I guess. I don't know how that works. No, but my point is, is that God is moving and we're seeing it. And it doesn't hinge on the health of one person. The kingdom of God is too big, too great, too important, too valuable. So let's go fishing. Let's go. God's love is relentless. Okay. I'm all rat-a-tat. I need some tat. Let's go. Let's sing. Brandon, lead us, please. As the ushers will come forward, as the ushers come forward, let's worship with our tithes and with our offerings.